0: Book 1 chapter 13 of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Robert Falconer by George MacDonald chapter 13 Robert's mother Early on the following morning while Mrs Falconer Robert and Shargar were at breakfast Mr Lamy came he had delayed communicating the intelligence he had received till he should be more certain of its truth. Older than Andrew, he had been a great friend of his father, and likewise of some of Mrs. Falconer's own family. Therefore he was received with a kindly welcome. But there was a cloud on his brow, which in a moment revealed that his errand was not a pleasant one. I had not seen ye for a long time, Mr. Lamy. Go the hoose, lads, or I'm thinking it ma'un be school-time, Sit ye doing, Mr. Lamy, and let's hear your news. I came from Aberdeen last night, Mistress Falconer, he began. Ye have not been home since, sign, she rejoined. Nay, I sleep it at the boar's head. What for did ye that? What gart ye be at that expense? When ye ken I had a bed in the gale room. Well, ye see, they're old friends of mine, and I like to go on. "'to them when I'm in the gate of it. "'Well, they're a fine family, the Miss Napiers, "'and I wot sin they sell drink. "'They do it with discretion. "'That's well kent.' "'Possibly Mr. Lammy, remembering what then occurred, "'may have thought the discretion a little in excess of the drink, "'but he had other matters to occupy him now. "'For a few moments both were silent. "'There's been some ill news, they tell me, Mrs. Faulkner.' He said at length, when the silence had grown painful. Humph, returned the old lady, her face becoming stony with the effort to suppress all emotion. Na boot, Andrew. Deed is it, mem? An ill news, I'm sorry to say. Is he taken? Ay, is he, by a gyler that will not loose the grip. He's no dead, John Lammy. Do not say it. I maunt say it, Mrs. Faulkner. I had it from Doctor Anderson, your own cousin. He hinted at it afore, but his last letter leaves nay room to doot upon the subject. I'm uncle, sorry to be bearer of such ill news, Mrs. Falconer, but I had no choice. a oh, ahon, oh, hon. the day of grace is by at last. My poor Andrew exclaimed, Mrs. Falconer, and sat dumb thereafter. Mr. Lammie tried to comfort her with some of the usual comfortless commonplaces. She neither wept nor replied, but sat with stony face staring into her lap, till seeing that she was as one that heareth not, he rose and left her alone with her grief. A few minutes after he was gone, she rang the bell and told Betty in her usual voice to send Robert to her. He's gone to the school, ma'am. Rin after him and tell him to come home. When Robert appeared, wondering what his grandmother could want with him, she said, Close the door, Robert. I cannot let you go on to the school today. We may not leave him out, no. Leave what out, Granny? Him, him, Andrew, your father, laddie. I think my heart will break. Leave him out of what, Granny? I do not understand ye. Leave him out of our prayers, laddie, and I cannot bide it. What for that? He's dead. Are you sure? I or sure, or sure, laddie. Well, I did not believe it. What for that? Because I will not believe it. I'm no born to believe it, am I? What's the good of that? What for no believe it? Dr. Anderson sent home word of it to John Lammy. Ah, hon, ah, hon. I tell you, I will not believe it, Granny, except God himself tells me. As long as I did not believe that he's dead, I can keep him in my prayers. I'm no goin' to leave him out, I tell you, Granny. Well, laddie, I cannot argue with ye. I have nae heart till it. I do it I mount great. Come away. She took him by the hand and rose, then let him go again, saying, Shut the door, laddie. Robert bolted the door, and his grandmother, again taking his hand, led him to the usual corner. There they knelt down together, and the old woman's prayer was one great and bitter cry for submission to the divine will. She rose a little strengthened, if not comforted, saying, "Ye mount pray yer loun, laddie, but oh, be a good lad, for ye're all that I have left. And if ye're gone wrong too, ye'll bring doon my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave. They're grey enough, and they're near enough to the grave. But if ye turn out well, I'll maybe hold up my head a bit yet. But oh, Andrew." My son, my son, would to God I had died for thee. And the words of her brother in grief, the king of Israel, opened the floodgates of her heart, and she wept. Robert left her weeping and closed the door quietly, as if his dead father had been lying in the room. He took his way up to his own garret, closed that door too, and sat down upon the floor with his back against the empty bedstead. There were no more castles to build now, It was all very well to say that he would not believe the news, and would pray for his father, but he did believe them, enough at least to spoil the praying. His favorite employment, seated there, had hitherto been to imagine how he would grow a great man, and set out to seek his father, and find him, and stand by him, and be his son and servant. Oh, to have the man stroke his head, and pat his cheek, and love him! One moment he imagined himself his indignant defender, The next he would be climbing on his knee as if he were still a little child, and laying his head on his shoulder. For he had had no fondling his life long, and his heart yearned for it. But all this was gone now. A dreary time lay before him, with nobody to please, nobody to serve, with nobody to praise him. Granny never praised him. She must have thought praise something wicked. And his father was in misery forever and ever. Only somehow that thought was not quite thinkable. It was more the vanishing of hope from his own life than a sense of his father's fate that oppressed him. He cast his eyes as in a hungry despair around the empty room, or rather, I should have said, in that faintness which makes food at once essential and loathsome, for despair has no proper hunger in it. The room seemed as empty as his life. There was nothing for his eyes to rest upon, with those bundles and bundles of dust-brown papers on the shelves before him. What were they all about? He understood that they were his father's now, that he was dead. It would be no sacrilege to look at them. Nobody cared about them. He would see at least what they were. It would be something to do in this dreariness. Bills and receipts and everything ephemeral, to feel the interest of which a man must be a poet indeed, was all that met his view. Bundle after bundle he tried, with no better success. But as he drew near the middle of the second shelf, upon which lay several rows deep, he saw something dark behind, hurriedly displaced the packets between, and drew forth a small work box. His heart beat like that of the prince in the fairy tale when he comes to the door of the sleeping beauty. This at least must have been hers. It was a common little thing, probably a childish possession, and kept a hold trifles worth more than they looked to be. He opened it with bated breath. The first thing he saw was a half-finished reel of cotton, a purn, he called it. Beside it was a gold thimble. He lifted the tray. A lovely face in miniature, with dark hair and blue eyes, lay looking earnestly upward. At the lid of this coffin those eyes had looked for so many years. The picture was set all round with pearls and an oval ring. How Robert knew them to be pearls he could not tell, for he did not know that he had ever seen any pearls before, but he knew they were pearls, and that pearls had something to do with the new Jerusalem. But the sadness of it all at length overpowered him, and he burst out crying, for it was awfully sad that his mother's portrait should be in his own mother's box. He took a bit of red tape off a bundle of papers, put it through the eye of the setting, and hung the picture round his neck. Inside his clothes, for Granny must not see it. She would take that away, as she had taken his fiddle. He had a nameless something now for which he had been longing for years. Looking again in the box, he found a little bit of paper, discoloured with antiquity, as it seemed to him, though it was not so old as himself. Unfolding it, he found written upon it a well-known hymn, and at the bottom of the hymn the words, O Lord, my heart is very sore, The treasure upon Robert's bosom was no longer the symbol of a mother's love, but of a woman's sadness, which he could not reach to comfort. In that hour the boy made a great stride towards manhood. Doubtless his mother's grief had been the same as Granny's, the fear that she would lose her husband forever. The hourly fresh griefs from neglect and a wrong did not occur to him, only the never, never more. He looked no farther, took the portrait from his neck, and replaced it with the paper, put the box back, and walled it up in solitude once more with the dusty bundles. Then he went down to his grandmother, sadder and more desolate than ever. He found her seated in her usual place. Her New Testament, a large print octavo, lay on the table beside her, unopened, for where within those boards could she find comfort for grief like hers? That it was the will of God might well comfort any suffering of her own, but would it comfort Andrew? And if there was no comfort for Andrew, how was Andrew's mother to be comforted? Yet God had given his firstborn to save his brethren. How could he be pleased that she should dry her tears and be comforted? True, some awful unknown force of a necessity with which God could not cope came in to explain it, But this did not make God more kind, for he knew it all every time he made a man, nor man less sorrowful, for God would have his very mother forget him, or worse, still, remember him and be happy. Read a chapter to me, laddie, she said. Robert opened and read, till he came to the words, I pray not for the world. He was of the world, said the old woman, and if Christ would not pray for him, what force should I? Already so soon after her son's death would her theology begin to harden her heart. The strife which results from believing that the higher love demands the suppression of the lower is the most fearful of all discords, the absolute love slain love, the house divided against itself, one moment all given up for the will of him, the next the human tenderness rushing back in a flood. Mrs. Falconer burst into a very agony of weeping. From that day, for many years, the name of her lost Andrew never passed her lips in the hearing of her grandson, and certainly in that of no one else. But in a few weeks she was more cheerful. It is one of the mysteries of humanity that mothers in her circumstances, and holding her creed, do regain not merely the faculty of going on with the business of life, but in most cases even cheerfulness. The infinite truth, the love of the universe, supports them beyond their consciousness, coming to them like sleep from the roots of their being, and having nothing to do with their opinions or beliefs, and hence spring those comforting subterfuges of hope to which they all fly. Not being able to trust the Father entirely, they yet say, Who can tell what took place at the last moment? Who can tell whether God did not please to grant them saving faith at the eleventh hour? And so they might pass from the very gates of hell, the only place for which their life had fitted them into the bosom of love and purity this god could do for all this for the son beloved of his mother perhaps he might do o oh, rebellious mother-heart dearer to god than that which beats laboriously solemn under genevan gown or lutheran surplice if thou wouldst read by thine own large light instead of the glimmer from the phosphorescent brains of theologians Thou mightest even be able to understand such a simple word as that of the Saviour, when, wishing his disciples to know that he had a nearer regard for them as his brethren in holier danger than those who had not yet partaken of his light, and therefore praying for them not merely as human beings, but as the human beings they were, he said to his father in their hearing, I pray not for the world, but for them, not for the world now, but for them, a meaningless utterance if he never prayed for the world, a word of small meaning, if it was not his very wont and custom to pray for the world, for men as men, Lord Christ, not alone from the pains of hell or of conscience, not alone from the outer darkness of self and all that is mean and poor and low, do we fly to thee, but from the anger that arises within us at the wretched words spoken in thy name, At the degradation of thee and of thy father in the mouths of those that claim especially to have found thee, do we seek thy feet. Pray thou for them also, for they know not what they do. End Chapter 13